and away in the manger. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Let's take out your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And for those who'd like to participate in Children's Church up through grade 6, you can be dismissed at this time with your child. Your child. You can meet your, te- your teachers in the foyer and pick them up after we're all done. It's good to be together in the Word today. It's a fun day today. We have a short business meeting right after this service, and then tonight is our annual Christmas coffee house where you'll be able to get into the spirit, listening to other people make fools of themselves. And uh, not all of them. Some of them will be uh, very edifying, and I'm sure that you will really, really enjoy them. But we, we look forward to that. At 6.30 tonight, we're looking forward to being together. Next, the following Sunday night, we'll be out in our neighborhood, as is our habit, to uh, go door-to-door in Carroll, four or five groups of folks right in this general na- neighborhoods around us, and pass out uh, door hangers with the tracks and things that we would typically do. And so we just ask you to be in prayer for that ministry outreach. Three or four times a year we're in the, in the community, and that is one of those times, so we're looking forward to that. Anyway, let's, uh, let's seek the Lord in prayer before we start our time in the Word. Lord, we thank you today for this section of Scripture that we'll uh, take on. We thank you that it is from your own uh, heart from your own mind to us. I pray that you'll give us understanding and, and we desire to know it and have its application. I pray that you'll exclude any uh, emphasis that is not yours and that you uh, ban that from our minds and that you'll enrich us in understanding of those things which you would have us to know from your word today. It's so beneficial both to your people and to your church. And we pray this in the name of your son Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We're going to continue to study verse by verse through. 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We really just have begun to get our feet wet in the book of 1st Corinthians, and we've just titled this God's Plan for a Healthy Church, which is just as we look at the book, we recognize so many things are issues there in the Corinthian church, which we recognize in our own church or churches we've been uh, involved in in the past. We know that that is typical of the church, and so Paul's desire, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, is to see the church healthy, and so he takes these things on. Now, we return, of course, to 1st Corinthians chapter 2, now you may or may not be aware that rubber bands last longer when they're refrigerated. How many knew that already? Rubber bands last longer when they're refrigerated. Peanuts are one of the ingredients in dynamite. You may or may not know that there are 293 ways to make change for a dollar. You may or may not know that the average person's left hand does 56% of the typing on a computer. You may or may not know that there are more chickens than people in the world. I actually said that to somebody this week, and they looked at me like I had two heads, as if why would anybody think that? But it was in my mind because I you know, looked it up, facts that people don't typically know. A cat has 32 muscles in each ear. A microwave was invented after a researcher walked by a radar tube and the chocolate bar in his pocket melted. Of course, I'm sure he's long dead from cancer by now, but you may or may not know a cockroach can live nine days without its head before it starves to death. That's nice, isn't it? There are 336 dimples on a regulation golf ball. The average person falls asleep in seven minutes, whether they think they do or not. That's a, that's, I looked at that up, I thought, now I, I don't fall in that category. It's about two minutes for me, I think, so maybe I bring the, bring the uh, average down. And the last one, the average chocolate bar has eight insect legs in it. Now I actually looked that up, and the FDA says that that's okay because of the process. So maybe you wanted to know that, maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't know any of those things. But the reason why I said that is today, in our study, we're going to look at some things that the unredeemed world cannot know. And we kind of foreshadowed that last week as we just began to get into this section. Things the unredeemed world cannot know. Let's read the section together and allow the Holy Spirit to go to work in our own heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
We're going to pick up, actually, in verse 6, if you would. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard, and you can find that in front of you in the chair, or just read in your copy. I'll give you some verse cues we can stay together. You'll also find some notes on the back of the bulletin, and if that's helpful for you, you'll find some takeaways today that you can take home. Look at verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. Verse 7. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Verse 8. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9. But just as it is written... Things which I have not seen, nor ear had not heard, and which have not been entered into the heart of man, all that God hath prepared for those who love him. Verse 10. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Verse 11. For who among men know the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Verse 13. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. Verse 15. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, Yet he himself is appraised by no one, verse 16, for who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Let's stop right there. Now, as you know, if you've been with us, the reason for this instruction from Paul is that he's been talking about human wisdom and taking human wisdom to task, really, over the last several verses. And the reason he's been doing that is, as we've seen from Paul's examples, human wisdom or earthly wisdom, as James 3.15 calls it, uh, is the source for division and faction in the church. And that's the problem that they're having in Corinth. And so Paul takes this on, the very thing that's impeding the unity and the effectiveness of the church there. Now Paul proceeds then to give a number of reasons from verses 19 through 28 uh, why the church is to turn away from the wisdom of man. And he finishes that section by reminding them, uh, reminding the church, that is, in verse 31, he says, chapter, end of chapter 1, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul reminds them that everything that uh, they are, all the wisdom that they have, all the righteousness, holiness, re, uh, the fact that they're redeemed, is all due to the wisdom of God. And so he goes through this list, perhaps to remind them of what they need to be speaking about, as opposed to what they have been speaking about. So boasting in the Lord, not in their own opinions, not in their own preferences. Uh, Paul says there's no need for all of that. There's no place for that. That won't do what has to be done. It won't give you true wisdom. It won't give you righteousness, sanctification, redemption. All it'll do is polarize the church on points that really don't matter. And so Paul's taking this on uh, as his first topic. Of all the things he could have talked about in the book of 1 Corinthians, and there are many things if you've read through it, this is the thing that was most important, this unity of the church that Paul knows is integral to its, to its ministry and its message is the thing that was broken there. And so he says that's all based in human wisdom, based on boasting that you know something. And Paul says all of that needs to be set aside. Let him who boasts boast in the Lord and focus on the things that are most important. And then this next section as we got into chapter 2, Really starting in verses 1 through 5, Paul illustrates all of his former points, and he starts by using himself. Look there with me, if you would. Chapter 2, verse 1. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, 
And so Paul starts right away. He says, listen, I've already told you about this. This is not what you should do. And uh, you shouldn't have superiority. You shouldn't have uh, this so-called wisdom. When I came to Corinth, I didn't come as an order, Paul says. Uh, I, I came as a witness. And then look at the rest of verse 1. Proclaiming to you, he says, the testimony of God. Paul says, I'm here to give you God's revelation. And that has a very unifying effect, as we said last week, on the church. That's a great example to all of us, too. It's what all of us are to do. Proclaiming the testimony of God. Verse 2, look there in chapter 2. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he means by that God's redemptive plan. So in general, as he talks about that, it's not the only thing Paul knew was the cross. He was talking about God's redemptive plan in whole, God, Christ and him crucified, God's revelation, if you will, as opposed to human speculation. That's Paul's message. And that's his example to the Corinthian church to get them back on track. Now look at verses 3 and 4. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, Verse 4, and my message and my preaching were not in per persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul showed them by his example what it looked like to put confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I didn't come there to persuade you over to my opinion, to use the right words, to exact some right response from you from some crafty way that I was able to propose something to you, to draw you over to my opinion or to manipulate the church in any way, Paul says. I just gave you the whole counsel of God and trusted the Holy Spirit to work. And that's what happened. And so he did it so that, look at verse 5, their faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So once again, he wasn't making disciples for himself. He wasn't creating Paul followers, uh, not as an example of going around being factious. That's not real wisdom, Paul says. Paul says uh, there is real wisdom, verse 6. It says it has a target audience. Now look there. Verse 6, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. And we saw just right at the end last time, that refers to full-grown, mature believers in this context. Uh, the world thinks it's foolishness. The world thinks this wisdom is a stumbling block. Uh, believers involved in the factions haven't recognized this most important fact. Uh, but those who are mature recognize the significance and the importance of this conduct that Paul is requiring that they manifest. And that's what Paul's ultimately appealing to in his prolonged illustration. He tells them earlier, he knows that they have divisions based on human wisdom, based on preferences that they're expressing out loud. Their unity is broken because of that. He reminds them that all such division is based in human wisdom, which is all going to be swept away. It's all powerless to accomplish what God wants to be done in the church. And he says, when I came to you, I came preaching Christ and Christ isn't divided. And the world thinks that this is foolishness, and those involved in this division are using the wisdom of the world. And so Paul says, I'm bringing you a different way. I showed what this looked like in my own actions, Paul says, and those that are mature are going to understand it and do it. Now look at verse 7. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom in which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Verse 8, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Let's pause right there. So we're talking about understanding godly wisdom. And we really broke it down this way. The next several verses, up through verse 16, we broke it this way. Number one, godly wisdom, true wisdom, cannot be known or discovered by the world. Number two, godly wisdom can only be known by believers. And you got those points last time. And we're going to build on that now today. So true wisdom, that's ultimate truth regarding God and man and destiny and salvation and all of that is not known to the natural mind's man, uh, man's mind. That's Paul's point. Yet all the religions of the world, all efforts on the part of man are to discover God, to find God. 
And Paul says it's not possible for that to happen. The wisdom that's available is not the wisdom, Paul says, of the world. No matter what period of time it comes in, that's why he's talking about before the ages, uh, he predestined this, wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood. This age that Paul's in, the age that came before Paul, the age that came before that, the one that will come later, the one that we're in now, Paul says, all those things, whatever age you happen to be living in, we're not preaching that age, we're not preaching the wisdom of that age, the psychology of that age, the sociology of that age, the philosophy of that age, whatever it is, human wisdom, we're not preaching that, okay, that's not supposed to be going on in the church, Whatever age you happen to be living in, we're not preaching that. Paul identifies the wisdom then. Yes, we're speaking wisdom. The world says it's foolishness, but it isn't foolishness. And a mature believer understands that it's wisdom. And Paul says, and the reason you don't understand it is that he's put it outside the boundaries of man's capacity. It's something that was hidden, but is made clear to those that believe. Now look on as the rest of that verse 8. It says, God predestined before the ages to our glory. He planned it. In other words, he foreordained it before the ages began, before time began. God had this marvelous salvation plan. And I asked you to kind of ponder that last, last week, try to get your mind around that. Before the ages began, he had this marvelous salvation plan, and he hid it. And in Christ and the New Testament we saw last time, the mysteries were all revealed. And why? This is the marvelous part, see? Unto our glory, unto our blessing, unto our eternal excellence. That's what Paul says. God revealed the plan of salvation unto our glory. It's a marvelous thought. Of God's thoughts towards you and to me. So Paul says, look, it's wisdom. It doesn't come out of your system, and God has hidden it, and the world will never know God on its own, and the world will never, man will never find God on their own, and the world will never develop a religion that's true. You're not working up through the religions and finding God. That's not possible. And all these, these are all types of people of all ages who've rejected Christ. The illustration just proves the point, see? The wisdom which as that's, that's the living illustration. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood, if they, would, if, they would not have if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. All types of people in the world, all ages of people in the world who've rejected Christ, the illustration just proves the point. Here were all these brilliant Romans, uh, all the education, all the well-known, schooled Old Testament Jews. Together, he says, they crucified Christ. Just shows you how much they really knew, which was nothing. They didn't know anything. And I made that illustration to you last week. Paul just uses this as the pinnacle of an illustration that the world can't come to know God. It doesn't understand God's plan. Because here's the Romans with all their, all their structure, all their civilization, all their culture, all of that stuff. And they crucified the Lord of glory. And here's the Jews with all their understanding of the Old Testament. And they crucified the Lord of glory. And that's the pinnacle of men being unable to understand God's plan. And of course, I illustrated last week, you know, Herod, as he sought to destroy all the children born in Bethlehem below a certain age, just shows it as well. But Paul can illustrate the point that man cannot grasp the plan of God by that one alone. Because it's the pinnacle of showing a man being unable to hook on to God's plan. Now, maybe you might wonder, well, how is it they can't know? Well, Paul answers that as the Holy Spirit carries them along. Look at verse 9, if you would. But just as it is written, things which I have not seen, nor ear not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, Paul says, just as it's written. Now, he appears to be quoting Isaiah 64, 4, so we just put it up on the screen for you. Here's what Paul's quoting. For from days of old they have not heard nor perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you, who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. Now, as Paul is quoting Isaiah, we go back to Isaiah, we see the context. All Isaiah is saying is that from the past, as far as anyone can remember, all the way up until now, no one has ever heard 
or imagined by rumor or seen any God apart from you who does the things that you do for the people you do it for. That's Paul's point as he draws on Isaiah's uh, teaching. Now, go back to verse 9. Things which eye has not seen nor, and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, let me just pause here for a second, okay? Is there anything in that context that is primarily about, primarily about heaven? Shake your head like this. No, okay? Now, you perhaps as a child perhaps had to learn that verse as it related to heaven. I, I understand that. And in a very remote sense, it could certainly include heaven in its very smallest portion, okay? He's talking about ignorance, isn't he? He's not talking about Christians not being able to know what heaven's like. He's talking about unbelievers not being able to know what salvation is like, right? And that's important. That's his whole point, actually, in the passage. Now, as we saw last time, God from ages past prepared some fantastic things for the people that love him. But the people that don't love him can't know what those things are. You see, the world, with its quest for truth, can't figure out what's going on. It's not possible for them to land on that wonderful plan of God because they can't know any of the things by observation apart from God, and they can't know any of those things by reason or logic apart from God. And that's the way that the world works. That's all. It's either empirical or it's rational. Either you're looking at the, the, the facts and making some decisions, or you're thinking through the whole process and coming through reason to some kind of, or some kind of combination of both of those things and coming to a conclusion. And if you remember, a couple months ago, Dr. Blaze took us through the sensory process and how the physical body is able to process external stimulus. How many were there for that, uh, our body by design? Uh, and I'll refer you to that teaching. You can go back online and you can see that body by design series, which we do from time to time. So it's important that you understand that, that Paul says it's not, a, it's not possible to experience some empirical evidence and come to the conclusion that God's going to have this marvelous plan of salvation. And even though we understand how that works through the nerves, it's pretty amazing that you're not able to do it, isn't it? That you're not able to read it, you're not able to hear it, and process it correctly. And yet, after salvation, you are. Isn't that amazing? And Mark and I had that conversation after it was all over. And when he was talking, 2 Corinthians 5.17 came to my mind. If any man's in Christ, he is a... Old things have passed away, behold, all things... Yeah, and isn't that amazing? See, even in this most important point, where you're not able to hear or see and process, as Paul's making this point clear and land on this wisdom of God, the salvation that God had planned before the ages began. And yet after salvation, you are. So that verse really becomes to life, doesn't it? That God renews something in you, behold, all things become new, where you're able to process that and come to the right conclusions. And I just thought that was amazing, uh, that there's some change. So a cognitive approach to knowledge of the gospel is unavailable to the unredeemed. Now let's start with the first of the two. It says, things which eye had not seen and ear has not heard. So objective truth is there. And typically, a human can experience and process truth through those senses. And we saw all of that and how that worked out a few months ago with Dr. Blaze. But according to 1 Corinthians 2.9, all the truth that is available can't pass through those sensory gates. It's not externally observable. And of course, after salvation in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it becomes externally observable. But now, in a natural state for men, it's not. Now remember... In case you're thinking about what we studied in Romans, Romans 1.18 tells us this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God has made it evident to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his external power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, 
so that they are without excuse. Now, there's no conflict here, right? You understand this. And I think you can see that this general truth, what is generally known about God, God has made obvious to people. And the reason he's been made that obvious to people is so that men can view it externally and they can understand that he exists through rational thought, that God exists. That's not what Paul's talking about, is he? Paul's talking about the wisdom of God, the salvation plan of God, which is not able to be seen or heard and understood. Here in Romans 1, 18, and you know this because we talked about this extensively, Paul's talking about this general knowledge of God that he exists so that no one will ever be able to say, I didn't, what? Know that God existed. Okay? No one can say, I don't know that, God's exist, that God exists. Paul says everyone, Romans 1, 18 through 20, is able to view what God has made, general revelation of all that you look around and see, and know that God exists. Okay? So that men are without excuse. But in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Paul makes it clear. You can't discover God's plan of salvation, the heavenly wisdom that the world thinks is foolishness, through those senses. Now let's look briefly at the second, at the second part. Which and which have not entered the heart of man. Typically, and as it went before, typically a man can draw conclusions by their own reasoning ability. They may have some empirical data and went from there, or they may just have pondered something, sat and thought like the thinker, you know, and be able to come up with some logical deductions and, and, and conclusions. But according to Paul, see, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, the gospel is knowledge that no natural man has been able to ponder and conclude or guess. Okay? So these are the things that natural man can't know. Can't know them through the thoughts, can't know it through the eyes, can't hear it through the ears, and come to the natural and correct conclusion. That's pretty hopeless, isn't it? That's a hopeless state. God's got this great plan of salvation. He has hidden it. It's not known to the philosophers of this era or any other era. That's just proven by the fact that they, had they known that, they wouldn't have executed Jesus. And by the way, everyone that goes on rejecting Christ over and over and over again proves that man can't know the wisdom of God on their own. And that's the first point that I think Paul makes it very well. He, he, doesn't have to t he doesn't take him too long to make the point. Why? Because the crucifixion proves the point for Paul. The natural man can't know these things. Okay, that was our first point. It's the way we broke down these passages. Crucifixion proves it for him. Now, point number two from last week, godly wisdom can only be known by believers. Okay, so the wisdom of the gospel, foreordained before the ages, came to be for our glory, can only be known by those who believe. And this is easy to see if we've understood the first part, okay? And we understood that it's not possible to come to the correct conclusion. If it isn't possible to discover God, then he has to come in with this information if we're going to have it. And there are really three principles here in this process, and we'll see them uh, as they unfold. You can jot these down if you want. The agent of this wisdom for believers is the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 10. For to us, God revealed them through his Spirit. What we would never be able to know on our own for those who are redeemed, God's brought to us by the agency of the Holy Spirit. That's apocalypsin, revealed. It's a Greek verb, aorist, active, indicative, to disclose something that's previously been hidden. In this particular sense, God revealed this plan, this heavenly wisdom, to believers in the past with obviously continuing results. That's the point. So the Holy Spirit, who is the agent of transmission for the Trinity, communicates this revelation. Okay, and Paul explains how he can do that, and he gives us a view about how that interaction works by saying this. Look at the next part of verse 10. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So, he's the one who knows the deep recesses of God's mind. What better one than to reveal God, right? That's what Paul says. Now, he doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit's ignorant of some things and has to search around and dig around and find them, okay? 
He's fully God too. He knows everything. It simply means he's the one who knows the inner being of God, God's own spirit. God's Holy Spirit then, in a more general application, carried along the writers of the, of the Bible. We're going to make some a, uh, general and some more specific applications. And just uh, as a pause here, remember I told you that there are many applications in this first two chapters of 1 Corinthians. More than we can make, so I'll just make as many as I can make and just encourage you to continue to be in the Word and uh, seek out those other applications and continue to cross-reference and you'll be able to do that. So, in a very general sense, then, God, you know, the Holy Spirit carried along the writers of the Bible. Now, I don't think this is Paul's main emphasis. He's talking about we, Paul and his reader. But here, of course, we understand God didn't trust the transmission of his scriptures to anybody outside the Trinity. The Holy Spirit was dispatched with the information because he's the only one that knew the depths of the inner recesses of God's own nature. And then Paul gives an illustration of this interaction that his readers really can connect to pretty quickly. Look at verse 11, if you would. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Let's stop right there. The idea here is this, so you can grasp what Paul's trying to say. Perhaps you've got a friend, and they're a pretty good friend, and they may say to you, I know you. You know, your hair is this color, and, you know, your nose is this shape, and you're this tall, and, you know, this food is your favorite food, and, you know, you like this style of clothing, and you like this style of music, and, and uh, you, you know, I know a lot about your personality. You know, they may say to you, I know how you're going to react when certain things happen. Uh, but when it comes down to it, they don't know you like you know you, right? In other words, say it this way. You and they don't know you like you and you know you, Right? You know things about you that they're never going to know. It's, you know. it's just that the only one who really knows the depths of me is my own spirit, right? I mean, you can understand that. I think you can agree with that. And even when you talk about marriage, as close as marriage gets, year after years and years and years of being together, there's some things that only I know about me. And, you know, we talk about honesty, and, and even in our honesty is somewhat veiled, isn't it? I mean, selective honesty, that's usually what it is. And some things don't need to be known by the other person, do they? Uh, those things are not edifying, and so we understand that. It's just human nature. The one who knows me best is my own spirit. That's all he's saying. That's just the illustration. Now look at the end of verse 11. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. A very important point. See, and Paul makes it by connecting with his reader. Okay? So Paul says, in the same way that you know the inner workings of you, the Holy Spirit knows the inner workings of God. So God didn't send a secondary messenger. He sent the Holy Spirit who knew everything. Now look at verse 12. This is very important. These are all very important principles, and of course we can't break them down as much as we'd like, but Paul goes through them several times and we'll be able to hit very important points as we work our way through. Look at verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of who is from God. So that's your second principle. Believers have received the Holy Spirit. First principle, the agent of wisdom for believers is the Holy Spirit. And two... Obviously, believers have received the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, these points, these principles overlap with one another, but we break them down so there's handholds for the Scripture and we can work our way through. Now, have received is the Greek verb lambano, and it's to take to oneself, to take in order to carry away. Again, aorist active indicative, a point in the past uh, with continuing results. So taken to oneself and continuing with that possession, okay? So this is a pretty important, this is a pretty important concept. Uh, God has this heavenly wisdom his plan of salvation, so the Holy Spirit of God knows this plan. He doesn't just come down and throw it out there, okay? That wouldn't be helpful. Um, instead, the one who knows the deep things of God takes up resident inside the believer. Why? Look at the last part of verse 12. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. So now, 
Once again, in a broader application, in a broader sense, we can see God's word represented here, certainly. Men carried along by the Holy Spirit and inspiration. The Holy Spirit was the agent in its transmission, carrying along each writer to record exactly the mind of the Lord. Uh, the Spirit of God brings it. They receive it. And in general, this certainly must refer to the apostles and the scripture writers. Uh, you and I receive these truths from them as they recorded them for us. But Paul's personal experience is certainly in view here as well as every other believer. Otherwise, we'd be in the same boat as the rest of the world, wouldn't we? Uh, we wouldn't be able to understand the heavenly wisdom, particularly the plan of redemption. Even if the heavenly writers carried along, even if the Holy Spirit carried along the, God, the writers of the scriptures, uh, without the Holy Spirit's residence, we wouldn't be able to grasp it. So there's got to be a personal application, which I think is Paul's main emphasis. We have, Paul says, received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. A very personal application. We receive the spirit so that we may know the things freely given to us, Paul says, by God. And those things were given to us in his word, and we've studied the, uh, you know, the qualifications of the scripture writers, so we don't take that responsibility onto ourselves. We understand who they were, and we wouldn't know them apart from the Spirit of God, okay? So Paul is appealing to the fact that those who are mature know these things and recognize then their importance, and not relying on the wisdom of men. It's always about that, because that's Paul's main emphasis, Okay. Now, remember John 14, 26. We can really see this difference really well. This illustrates it for us. Jesus is, is uh, speaking to his disciples, and he says this. He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, that is not primarily for all believers, is it? That's not a promise to us, okay? That was spoken to those who would write the New Testament. It was to them that he gave the Holy Spirit to recall all that Jesus said. But there's a very personal insight that Paul gives to the Corinthians in verse 12. He says, but we have received. What have we or all believers received? Look at verse 13. The Spirit who is from God. Now that verse 13 follows that thought. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now, Paul's bringing all this information that he wants to make sure the readers understand to the point, right back to his original emphasis, this unity that's been destroyed by human wisdom and human preference and all that kind of stuff, okay? So, and there's your third principle. Those who have the Spirit of God are able to speak this wisdom, okay? And we also know think in this wisdom, but of course, there's not speaking without thinking. At least there's not supposed to be. We, we always tell our kids, you know, try to think before you actually say that out loud or whatever. But we understand there are thoughts connected with thinking, so uh, we're speaking. So those who have the Spirit of God are able to speak this wisdom. And isn't that what Paul's been intending all along? That's his whole point, isn't it? He doesn't want them to speak the wisdom of man, which is where factions, divisions come from, which is what they've been doing. So it's a positional truth that we must make its way, of course, out practically. It's a positional truth. You've been given the Holy Spirit and you have an ability to speak uh, spiritual words and you have the ability to think spiritual thoughts that you didn't have before. And that's a positional truth. And that must make its way out practically. Man's wisdom will be swept away. It's powerless. And instead, those who are redeemed, who have the Holy Spirit, are taught by the Holy Spirit. And because of that, combine spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Okay? Now, once again, we have a more general approach and application that we can take, certainly as we think about the writers of the scriptures and inspiration. So in that application, when Paul says, now when I pass this information on to you, you can understand Paul saying, this is not my own words, okay? But whose words? The Holy Spirit's words. And Paul actually will say that numerous times in First and Second Corinthians to make sure it's clear. 
The thoughts were from the Holy Spirit. The words were from the Holy Spirit. Uh, but this doesn't seem to be Paul's primary emphasis. He says, we don't speak words taught by human wisdom. And we, okay, do speak words taught by the Holy Spirit. So Paul and his mature readers, we do this, Paul says, because we have a resident Holy Spirit truth teacher who is there to help us do that. Okay? And that's what the human writers of the scriptures receive from the Holy Spirit, spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. And that's what is available from the words of scripture to all who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. And Paul says, not in words taught by human wisdom. And he says that in the emphatic sense, okay? When I came, I didn't speak to you my own words, Paul says, okay? That's an example to you as well. The words we speak and you are to speak, Paul says, are the words which the Spirit has graciously given us in the revelation of God. And they come from the word of God. Now, just so you can kind of assimilate this, just as a footnote, when the, when the writers of Scripture sat down to write, when Paul sat down to write 1 Corinthians, and maybe you thought this as you've read through the Gospels and you read through the Epistles, and you see kind of the, the different kinds of language used and, and, and approaches used, it's, a, it's important to understand this, okay? The Spirit of God took control of Paul as he wrote 1 Corinthians and carried him along, which means this. The Spirit of God used Paul's brain, he pulled out of his brain the words that were in his own vocabulary and out of his own experience, and he arranged them in, or, in the order that he wanted them written, Okay? The very words selected by the Holy Spirit, but selected from the life and the personality of Paul and of Mark and of Matthew and of Luke and whoever you want to name, so that it reflected them, okay, nonetheless, the words of the Spirit, okay, exactly like he wanted them, exactly in the order that he wanted them. And that's why we get so detailed when we study, and that's why I think it's very important for the church and those who teach in the church to detail every word, every verse. Why? Because they all came from the mind of the Lord through their human writer, but arranged and organized and placed on the paper just like the Lord would have them. They all came from the mind of God. And the Holy Spirit knows the deep things of God and passed on everything that God wanted us to know, spiritual thoughts, spiritual words, and so we take time to make sure that we understand those. So Paul, in a general sense then, can make application to inspired writing. But in specific application, which I think is his main emphasis here, the we includes himself, his readers, all who have the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, look there. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So he contrasts the two things that are going on in the church, okay? Those who are in faction are speaking words of human wisdom, taught by human wisdom. Those who are spirit-controlled and not involved in the faction, those who are combining spiritual thought with spiritual word. And then Paul just, just really affirms what he said back in verse 8, okay? But natu a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. In other words, apart from the Holy Spirit, there is no understanding. And there are lots of people who have the Bible and don't have any understanding. Okay? And the point's proven, and you can probably collect, connect with this right away. Every time somebody comes to your door and affirms that they have discovered from the Bible that Jesus isn't God. Okay? And you know who I'm talking about, right? I mean, they knock on your door and you get in a conversation with them and they'll affirm to you that Jesus isn't God. There you go. That's the perfect illustration, isn't it? That they used the Bible and didn't come to a right conclusion. Why? Because the Holy Spirit resident teacher is not there to help them understand that. A natural man, see? The fleshly man, the unregenerate man, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Uh, literally, it means belonging to breath. That's the literal translation for the natural man. His life is in the physical, material world, that is. He, he can't know the wisdom of God. To him, Paul says, it's foolish. He can't know it because it's spiritually evaluated, spiritually appraised, spiritually judged, spiritually discerned, and he's spiritually dead. 
Now, the sad part about this is, is Paul's going to move to chapter 3, verse 1, which we won't get to until after the new year. He even calls those who are in the church of the flesh. Aren't you still acting as if you're of the flesh? And you can read chapter 3, verse 1, and you can see that. Which just means that not only can the natural man have the word of God and not be able to understand it, there's some inside the church who are creating faction who have the word of God, and they're not understanding it either. Because their thoughts are not spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. They're factious and divisive and holding forth opinions out loud that don't agree, see, and thinking thoughts that don't arrive to the same conclusion. You, see, you can see how Paul just takes this to test. So he's going to go this big circular um, time to, sp to spend all his time helping him understand the Holy Spirit's residence there, and in just a few minutes, a marvelous benefit and positional truth of the believer. And then he's going to come right back and say, listen, understand all of that. Here's where you are, see. You're holding the Word of God, and you're not paying attention to it. Psalm 119, verse 18, very important, I think. It's a beautiful prayer uh, for the psalmist, but I think it illustrates for us really where we all are, isn't it? It says, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Behold, I'm a stranger on the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. So the idea there is, it isn't just that God gave the law. God has to open our eyes to its understanding, doesn't he? I mean, we want to understand it, and we desire to know it, and we just ask the Lord, listen, we need to know this, and we need to know what it means, and we need to apply it, and the Spirit does that. Truth is available, but only those who are illumined will understand the truth. See, the natural man can't do it. He's without the Holy Spirit. He may have the Bible in his hand, but he, he may be holding the revelation in his hand, but without the Holy Spirit to illumine it, it's not going to make any sense to it, okay? But for the redeemed, that's a whole different story. Now look at verse 15. But he who is spiritual, it says, appraises all things. He that possesses the Spirit, he has the resident truth teacher in him. If you have the Holy Spirit, there's this resident truth teacher, there's this evaluator, and that appraise uh, is from the Greek anakrino. The word has to do with a judge holding an investigation. He, the, the person who has the Spirit and has the Word of God has the ability and the right and the wisdom to do it. Uh, present active indicative, so the believer is to be under control of the Holy Spirit so that he may find this as an ongoing condition of his, of his life. He who is spiritual appraises all things. He's able to come and investigate and come to the right conclusion. See, and That goes right back to the earlier part of chapter 1, right? Verse 10 and following, where Paul says, come to the same conclusion. Uh, think the same thoughts. Say the same things out loud. And this is how those things occur. See, He has the ability. He has the right. He has the wisdom. He has the Holy Spirit. He can find this, an ongoing condition of his life. Appraising. Anna Greeno, coming to the right conclusion, investigating and coming correctly to a conclusion. And as a side note, do you think Paul would have evaluated those who were involved in the preferences and factions and corrents as correctly appraising all things? No. Of course not, which is the point of the reason why he's making the emphasis. And, and by the Holy Spirit, we, we take the Word of God, he makes it alive, he makes it meaningful. This is for all believers, see, and of course Paul's emphasis is in the church in Corinth and every other believing church, see. And Paul is prompting them to reconnect with this truth teacher, move away from the wisdom of man. And that's why he says this, in, that's why he says in verses, chapter uh, 2, verse 6, he says, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. See? So then Paul says in verses 14 to 15, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised, but he who is spiritual appraises all things. And then he adds this at the end, that he himself, he says, is appraised by no one. The one who has the resident truth teacher and is thinking spiritual thoughts and speaking spiritual words 
is a praise, same word, except in the different text here, context, brought up under an investigation by no one. Okay? And the idea here is the Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit is never going to guide someone to the point where there could be a legitimate accusation brought against them. That's the point. Okay? If the resonance truth teacher is there and you're evaluating the scripture correctly, you're never going to get to the point where there's going to be a legitimate accusation brought against them. And the reason is, verse 16, and for that he quotes Isaiah 40, verse 13. So we'll read that first. Verse 16 is going to be this quote. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has informed him. Verse 14, with whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? And no one, okay, all rhetorical questions. And who taught him the path of just, justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? And all those are rhetorical questions and the answer is no one did that. Who's directed the spirit of the Lord? No one, okay? Now, with this, we're going to close. Look at verse 16. So to support his point, verse, 1 Corinthians 2, 16, he says, quoting Isaiah 40, verse 13 and 14, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? For those who have the resident Holy Spirit in control of their thoughts and words, they don't need instruction. Where did those involved in a faction fall in that category? Did they need instruction? They did. So Paul's given it to him, right? And unfortunately, as we're going to see in chapter 3, he's going to make that very clear and connect the dots for them, okay? But not so, he says, for those who are mature. That last part of verse 16, he says this. This is so cool. But we have the mind of Christ. What a marvelous positional truth that is. It's true of everyone who has received Christ as their Savior. All who has professed him as Lord. You have the mind of Christ. You have a resident truth teacher. Spiritual thoughts, spiritual words from the resident truth teacher who knows the deep things of God. That's where he wants the saints at Corinth. It is, again, a positional truth, which must also be worked out experientially. That's where he wants the saints everywhere, manifesting the mind of Christ. And that is Paul's emphasis here as, he closes, as we close out chapter 2. Let's bow and be dismissed in prayer as we allow those thoughts to work our way through our own behavior. Father, we thank you today for our time together. We thank you for the goodness that you have brought through you that have brought salvation to us. We're so grateful for that. For the grace, Father, that has brought us into a relationship with you and given us the truth. We're grateful for the Holy Spirit, which lives in us, Father, teaching us. We thank you, God. We know that even though he's our truth teacher, that we can quench that teaching and that instruction. And as Paul has emphasized here, through faction, division, those things are quenched. We can grieve that spirit, and may it not be, Father. May it not be. May we be submissive, filled, walking in the spirit, that indeed we might be able to discern all things, to appraise all things correctly, to have unified thoughts and unified conclusions we thank you for the privilege of sharing together in your word this morning, for breaking it open and making it clear to us by your Holy Spirit. And we ask you to draw to yourself, even right now, those who need you so much. We thank you for the season, which we're so excited to be in. We thank you for the celebration of Christ's birth, for the obvious nature of your care for us. We're grateful for the incarnation 
that marvelous thing that happened so many years ago has the incredible continuing results of God in flesh. So, Father, we thank you. Praises come to our mind even as we think about that. Even in the midst of Paul's instructions for the Church of Corinth, even in the midst of knowing when we fail and when we have not lived up to the knowledge of and the reality of a resident truth teacher who guides us to spiritual thoughts and spiritual words, we still celebrate the birth of your son, his life and vicarious death and his resurrection. We give you highest praise for that. We thank you for tonight where we will enjoy our fellowship together. May it be sweet, may it edify you. Your blessings be upon this church, Father, that you may guide us in all wisdom and understanding. As we have a short business meeting, give us your understanding there and the mind that is from Christ, which we all have. Help us not to quench any of those things. We desire to know what you'd have us do for the year to come and the joy that it'll be to be a part of ministry and seeing people's lives changed and people discipled. And Lord, all the things that will occur, help us to be found in you, wise servants, serving you as we should as we wait on your son's return. We give you praise and honor and glory and dominion and power all belong to this one in whose name we pray, his name Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.